Welcome to the inaugural edition of Crime Wave with Bonner Spring. It's a podcast that will feature mystery, thrillers, and suspense authors and the stories behind their stories. I'm your host, Bonner Spring, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network with more than 4 million viewers worldwide. Today's guest is RJ Coretto. RJ specializes in historical mysteries and is the author of three different historical mystery series, the Lady Frances Falk series, <laughs> Alice Roosevelt, and the Historic Holmes Mystery Series, which is what we'll be talking about today. Um, he's published short stories in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, Alfred Hitchcock's Mystery Magazine, the 2020 Bouchercon Anthology, and Paranormal Blues, a wonderful book, crime fiction inspired by the songs of Paul Simon. He was born in New York and raised in New York City and graduated from Vassar College where he studied English and uh, classical languages. In his teens, he wanted to be the next Ernest Hemingway while his mother wanted him to be the next Philip Roth. Over the years, he's paid his bills as a magazine writer specializing in business and finance. And he won the gold award from the American Society of Business Publication Editors. He wrote a book on practice management for financial professionals. He's been a website designer, a textbook editor, assistant to a cookbook editor, and drum roll, please, <laughs> a merchant seaman. <laughs> he and his vineyard, um, he and his uh, English uh, teacher wife have two grown daughters, divide their time between Rockland County, New York, and Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. Welcome, Richard, and thank you very much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you for having me. So we're going to mainly be talking about the Turnbull murders, which is which was just released two weeks ago. It's a second book in your historic home series. But so listen, this amazing bio, I still got me like, like twisted, twisted around. Here's the deal. Nowhere in your background do I see the genesis for all those intriguing details in your description of the Turnbull house. And that's the, let's call it a dilapidated mansion where most of the action of the Turnbull murders yes. takes place. Before we get into the mystery, I mean, what can you tell us about your interest in architecture and, and what you feel it brings to your novels? Well, it's a couple of things. First of all, I, I come from a long line of New Yorkers. Uh, we've uh, uh, my family, uh, both sides have been in this city since the uh, 19th century. Uh, immigrant background, we all settled here in New York. I grew up in New York. Both my parents grew up in New York. All four of my grandparents lived in New York. So so I got very interested in New York and uh, and all the different neighborhoods. And I, I've lived in, you know, many of the different areas. I've lived in you know, Manhattan and in Brooklyn and Queens. And at the same time, also, one of my day jobs is I write a, a uh, home renovation um, newsletter. And it's for basically it's for homeowners who want to know more about upgrading their homes, uh, redecorating their homes, financing their homes uh, to afford this. And that got me interested in it. And then I found out that if your home has been declared a landmark, there's a limit to what you can do to it. In fact, if you want to make changes to a home that has been given landmark status, you have to use an architect who has been specially certified to do that kind of work. And that's where I got the idea. I said, oh, wow, New York with all its grand houses. 
and specialized architects who are needed to make any changes or any upgrades um, to those houses. And that's that's where it all came together. That's uh, that's actually, that's really fascinating. I had no idea about that. And uh, so I'm guessing that all of your books, uh, I've only read a couple of them, all of them yes. feature this idea with architecture. Um, how much research do you actually need to do? Uh, there's a lot online, you can, there's a lot you can see, but then again, I do a lot of in-person. Uh, the, the Turnbull murders is loosely based on a real house, uh, a Gracie mansion which is uh, goes back it was built in 1799 and uh by a man named archibald gracie and he was a close friend of alexander hamilton and uh they, they were strong political allies in fact they wanted to uh, start a newspaper to put forth their political uh, thoughts on federalism and uh, they hammered out that newspaper right in gracie mansion and uh, that newspaper the new york post is still being published today, more than 200 years later. Um, wow. Wonderful. And I, I found out that uh, the a, uh, architect named James McComb built that house for Archibald Gracie. And he also built a house very similar for Alexander Hamilton, not very far from it, just a few miles away. Both those houses are still around and both of them are open for tours. Uh, Gracie Mansion is now the official residence of the mayor of New York City. Um, when Michael Bloomberg was mayor, he used a lot of his personal funds to uh, to restore it to its original glory. And uh, I took a tour of it. And you can get a sense when you go in there and you see the walls and the decorations and the furniture. You start getting a sense of how those people really lived. And it's great to look at pictures of all, but to actually go into one of those homes gives you a real sense of what it was like to live there. Right. The environs of something are so important. Yeah. I, um, I I, um, I like to think of setting as sort of like another character in my exactly. books. Exactly. And you know, it and a character, another character can be your best friend or a protagonist. Uh, yeah. You know, it waxes hot and cold just like the weather. It can yeah, keep yeah. you from doing things. It can help you do things. It's really interesting. Um, and I do. Um, you can always tell, Richard, when someone based their research on Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> and, did, and didn't go in, you know, and didn't go into the yes. into the spaces because spaces, in addition to a lot of the visual details you describe, which are amazing, they have smells and feelings and temperatures and all yes. kinds of different things about them. Well, like it came from growing up in New York too. I grew up just two blocks from Gracie Mansion. Oh, cool! And uh, you know, so we used to see it. We used to see when there were political events or social events there. We used to go and see famous people go in and out of it. And it's in the middle of a park right on the east side there. And uh, my first book too, The Greenleaf Murders, was based on also a real mansion, which sadly was torn down in the 40s. Oh. But you can still get a sense of the neighborhood. And you know, I've been in that, that neighborhood there. And you know what it was like growing up in that area. That's great. Well, let's turn let's turn to the Turnbull murders specifically. Yeah. Since Crack Life is a podcast designed to spark interest in mystery and thrillers, mm -hmm. we still have the problem of we um we don't want to give away too much of too <laughs> exactly. much of who done it, right? right. <laughs> so what well, the, the the plan generally speaking here is to tease the setup. So all of you listeners are gonna wonder. Mm, <laughs> What happens next? Now, the Turnbull Murders is the second in your historic home series. Yeah. And so what I want to know right now is, what's the crime? 
<laughs> there are two crimes. And the way these, this series works is that my protagonist, the, an architect named uh, Ren Fontaine, has to put together old crimes and new crimes. That is, for some reason, sometimes it's a very solid connection. Sometimes it's more of just an emotional or psychological connection connected to the home. And modern mysteries and old mysteries connect with each other. I mean, she finds that the house she's working on in the Turnbull mysteries, which um, in the Turnbull murders, which goes back to the early 19th century, has to deal with the man who built it, a, uh, a sea captain who disappeared. And there was even a folk song written about him. And there are murders around with the current owners whom she is renovating it for. Mm -hmm. And she finds in strange ways these new murders are echoing the disappearance of the captain. So she starts researching it. And she starts finding out that it's all centered on this magnificent early 19th century house and the way it affects people and the kind of people who want to live there. And so in a, even though there's no tangible connection between the old owners and the new ones, the house and the setting and what they hope to get out of it starts bringing up the same emotions, the same issues. And she, really, and she solves the modern mystery by solving the old one. <laughs> that was a very clever way yeah, to really describe, like, very clever way to describe I, I call my book semi-historicals. <laughs> That's, That's right. And, and, I, and, I will, and I will absolutely agree that that is exactly what happens. And it's really, yeah. really well done. So the crime is two, there are two crimes, yes. past and present. And tell us a little bit more about the duo that you've created to solve this mystery. You mentioned Wren. Right, right. Uh, her, her name is spelled the W-R-E-N. And, and we find in the first book, uh, her father's an architect. Her father's a great modernist architect. And he named her after Sir Christopher Wren, the great English architect who built uh, St. Paul's Cathedral in uh, in London, where he, is, where he is in fact buried. So she grew up being named after one of the, the greatest <laughs> architects in history. Yeah. And... Um, uh, in the first book, she uh, she gets a, a new girlfriend, someone who compliments her very well, a uh, a woman named uh, Hadley, Hadley Vanderwerf. And she comes from a very different background. She comes from the great old, you know, uh, Anglo-Dutch uh, aristocracy that has, you know, essentially ruled New York City since the 17th century. So they had that difference but they also have this they, they complement each other very well she you know ren is very introverted she likes to involve herself in the house uh, hadley is more extroverted but they, they complement each other and i like the way they work i like the way they get you know like the great partnership you see in mystery writing yeah. whether it's a romantic one or not you know people who complement each other like holmes and watson or in the Nero Wolf books, you know, with you know, Nero Wolf and Archie Goodwin. Archie Goodwin. And, you know, that's what I was going with, you know, whether it's a romantic or a friendship or an employer-employee, to have yeah. people who complement each other, I think, always gives a, uh, a flavor and a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's really true. They are a really refreshing and fun and interesting <laughs> duo. Um, is it, it, I know that's something that you do a lot. A lot of, um, you, you know, your, your main characters, a lot of them are women. Yes, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't. I, I, yeah, it's okay. It's okay not to know why. Um, actually, I have to want to jump in here and say that Hadley was such an unusual name, and she's a very interesting character yeah. all the way through. I enjoyed her, and as I was reading, 
Um, I kept thinking about Hadley Richardson, Ernest Hemingway's first wife. Yes, um, yes. That, that was exactly I don't know if that, did that occur to you at some point? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, to put that name together. And and I got that too. I had known, I had known somebody from the family. I don't come from that kind of background at all, but I, I knew a, uh, we had a family friend, uh, she's very elderly, she died some years ago, who came from that background. Yeah. She was, uh, she was a member of the Colonial Dames of America. Yeah. You, know, you have to prove an ancestry back to the 17th century. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, very much in, very much involved. Her uh, One of her ancestors was a mayor of New York when it was still New Amsterdam. Oh, wow. And, and so I like I loosely based some of the characters on her. You know, I got a, a real strong sense of what it was like to be from a, from a clan like that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thank you for t- telling us more about that. Now, I don't know if you can talk about this or not, Richard, but if you're planning a sequel to the Turnbull murders, could you share a tiny bit about your plans? Yes, I am. I am well underway oh, for it. Oh, good. It's all plotted out and about a quarter written uh, is the plot. Uh, this this one's going to be a little a little more personal for Ren. It's, it's, it's tentatively called the Cadieu murders. It's a French name, uh, C-A-D-I-E-U-X. Thank you. And I have um, a, a, a fictional architect who uh, who built a uh, who built a great home in the 1950s in Long Island, and he's sort of based on a lot of the architects uh, from the early 20th century, early to mid 20th century, like Corbusier, Frank mm-hmm. Lloyd Wright, um, uh, people like that who built um, yeah, Eero Saarinen, uh, who, who you know who, who revolutionized. Uh, architecture in the post-war years, and and we find out that he was an important mentor for Ren's father, and oh. so Ren is now. I mean, he's he's long deceased, but Ren is now working on one of his homes, and there was a Mercer. A uh, you know, she got to meet him when she was a little girl, so she's got to remember what it was like. Oh. She solves a famous society murder in a house in the 1950s. Cool. And she has to get a sense of what it was like. You know, again, the house was very unusual, and um, and he designed it particularly for a friend of his. So, what does that mean? What does the house's design have to say about the people who live there, since the architect designed it particularly for one particular person? And uh, you know, having fun with that, the psychology of it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I will look forward to that. Yeah. Um, so you've written. Um, to go back to go back to your bio, you've written nonfiction and short sure. fiction and novels. Um, I'm not sure exactly how to phrase this question. Like for you, for you as a as the writer, what's the difference? You enjoy one more than another? Is your process different? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Someone once said, I can't remember who now. Once said, the big difference between fiction and nonfiction is that fiction has to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I always love that is, is that you know people expect from a novel or a short story for a coherent story, mm-hmm. and 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 yet nonfiction doesn't work that way. Uh, you know, I, I've covered a lot of things, and, and things don't work neatly in nonfiction. You know, and I've enjoyed doing it. Uh, you know, I still do it. Uh, yeah, you know, you interview people for uh, you know for articles. I've done a lot of uh, you know business coverage. Mm-hmm has been my particular thing. So, you know, I've interviewed CEOs and accountants and, and attorneys, and you, you don't get anything clear cut, which is not the end of the world, but that's the story you give when you write something. Yes. There is there's often nothing clear cut. 
And that's okay, but you have to be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that your short fiction um, has different themes or covers different sorts of material than your novels do? I've not read way, your short fiction, I have to say. So, In a way, a, sh- a short story is harder, I find. Yeah. You've got to get that all in there in like five to 6,000 mm-hmm. words. Um, and that, that can be a little tougher. Yeah. It's um, you know you have to get in themes, and I, I like I like a long story. I like very in-depth themes, and that can often be harder to do for the kinds of things I mm-hmm. write. Right. Um, in a short story, I'm not I'm not saying that's necessary for everyone. There are a lot of great masters of a short story, but it's uh, it's 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 harder for me. I mean, my 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 big hero, the big, I think the person who's been the greatest influence on me has been John Le Carre. Oh gosh, yes. And even though yes. I don't write the same type of thing, spy thrillers, he's he's not concerned with that so much as he's concerned with theme and morality mm-hmm. and personal responsibility and how you look at those things. And those are the you know, incredible themes. And I, I find those easy to explore in a novel and harder to get okay. into a short story. So yes. I, I've had several short stories published and I'm working on more, but it's it, in a way it's harder. <laughs> than even a novel. Yeah, no, I, I would second that. I'm a fair, I'm a pretty much of a novice when it comes to short yeah. stories, although I've had some success with them. Yeah. Um, do you know what I found is that um, I write, I love writing really um, morally ambiguous characters in short oh, stories. Oh, that's a great thing. That I would never, like, I would never want to spend 300 pages with, you know what I mean? Yes. But but it's it's kind of fun to jump in and then jump out again after 15 That's pages. When you have, you know, even the, you know, so-called, the, the so-called bad guys are doing it. I, I noticed something, yeah. someone pointed out to me once, I didn't realize it, that the antagonists in my book are never very bad. They're often people who do bad things because they're driven by desperation. They don't see any other way they than to, you know, kill to somebody. To get what they want. They're not... They're not you know, soulless killers types. And I hadn't even realized that until someone pointed that out to me. And I'm thinking, Isn't yeah, that interesting? Yeah. 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 Do you, um, what, what sorts of comments are the, are the, that you, do you hear most often from your readers about your books? Do they talk about the, the things that we've been talking about? Or do yeah, they, they, point like, out they like character. And, they like you character. Know, that's it. I, I, you know, I remember, I remember characters for books, you know, often I forget the plots, you know, like, you know, like months later, years later, I may forget the plot of a book. But I, if it's a good character, I remember the character. Yes. I remember yeah. the settings, you know, right, and, and right. things like that. And I often remember the thematic content. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, you just mentioned Le Carre. I mean, what do we come with? What do we come away from with Le Carre? But George Smiley, I mean, you know, yeah, George and Smiley, Carla. And, and, right. And the whole sense of the, the idea of responsibility and loyalty mm-hmm. and, um, um, he has a book, I'm not going to name the title, I don't want to give anything away, one of his early books, where he had somebody who is, who, who, who starts making compromises to fulfill a good end. You know, they're trying to bring peace and equality, and they keep making compromises to themselves. And Le Carre's point is, is that by the end, this person is no better than their antagonists. They have made so many compromises to get to their end, yeah. that in the end, they're indistinguishable from yeah. the bad guys. And, yep. and, and thinking that, that's such a lesson he has in the idea of morality and personal responsibility. 
Thank you. I um I cannot recommend Arche Coretto's books enough. And before we go off the air, um, could you tell our listeners where they might find you online or in person if you're going to be doing um, some live events to celebrate the release of the Turnbull Murders, which was just two weeks ago, if I forgot yes. to mention that earlier. Yes, I don't have anything uh, in person lined up, but uh, you can uh, follow me. I have a uh, active, I'm active on Facebook. Uh, you can see my website. It's uh, rjcoretto.com. You can sign up for a, uh, a newsletter that I give uh, every couple of weeks, just updates on what's happening with my writing. And uh, as I said, you know, Facebook too. I'm uh, can be easily found on Facebook. That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking well, thank the time you so to much chat today. Me. Great questions. I really appreciate it. Oh, really enjoy talking to you. Good luck with this one and the next one, which I shall eagerly thank await. Thank you very much. Please come back to visit. I love talking to you. Um, and now I guess we're going to sign off from, as I said, our inaugural episode of thank Crime you. Wave. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Thank you.